Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes, yes. Welcome into the Tim McKernan Show here on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. I'm your host, Timothy Michael McKernan, alongside Gangster Pete, who is going to be very active in this one, I think. Gangster Pete, are you prepared to be active? I'm prepared to be so active. So here's a couple of things that we're going to talk about on this one. And one of them is going to be at the very end because I don't want to engage in any spoilers and so if you haven't seen The Irishman or you're just not interested in it, we are going to wait until the end of the podcast to discuss it. So then that way, you know it's coming. And if you don't want to have any spoilers, you can just go, oh, Tim's done talking about himself for three hours. I will now tune out because I can't get enough of Tim talking about himself for three hours. So that is what we plan to do. Gangster Pete has seen the film. I've seen the film, and I recorded last week's questions from the audience right after I had seen the film, and I've since seen the film again, and I'm anxious to get uh, Gangster Pete's interpretation of it uh, and uh, and discuss because it seems like it's it's kind of a, I don't know if I would say polarizing, that would be overstating it, but it seems like people are passionate about it in both directions. So that's coming up, and then as I'm sitting here, Gangster Pete had been patiently waiting for me to start, Texting with a variety of people. Um, uh, one of whom is my father. Literally, I just sent that text. You might have heard me typing. Um, and, and then another person. Um, because um, I, I'm going to interview my dad. At least I believe so. As I'm texting, I'm starting. I just said to Pete before we started, I said, I'm not sure he wants to do this. And what he just texted me, he said, Tim, I'll do it. He goes, I'll be more than happy to do it, but what will, we, what will we cover? And I just wrote back, your life. And now as I see the three little bubbles are up as he's responding. Um, so anyway, uh, people have been asking about me having my dad on the podcast. Uh, this week's guest is Luke Voigt. Major recommendation to listen to the Yankees' first baseman. Candid as can be on that one. Um, and uh, last week's Courtney Bryant. Um and the week before, Mark Montavani, subscribe to the podcast, got great interviews, got questions from the audience on Wednesday, and then uh, pick six, which is an absolute dumpster fire. <laughs> How did G-Unit do this uh, week, Gangster uh, He's two and three right now, and he's got Seattle tonight. Okay. And producer Joe went one and five, and the weatherman went three and three? That's right. Uh, so really, the, po- the podcast at this moment is more about the interviews and questions from the audience and whether or not Joe's going to lose his shit on Iggy or Plowboy. And then you can just listen to us pick games. And I thought I finally was giving people some value with my teasers, and then those went to hell on Saturday. So there's there's just no redeeming value outside of fading. And actually, by the way, questions from the audience is just really straight digression. 
because I was so in on, and I wouldn't do it differently. I know I was in on, uh, in the 11 o'clock games, I was on Illinois. I was on Michigan. I was on the Georgia, Georgia Tech under, and I feel like another one. Do you remember what it would be? The 11 o'clock games this past Saturday, anything stand out that I would have been protecting myself on? I know I loved those. Michigan plus 20. I felt like Michigan had a wide delta where Michigan could win that game or they could get blown out. And as it played out, so you could tease Michigan up to 20. You could tease the Georgia under up to 58 and a half. Minnesota. Minnesota was a 230 game though, or a three game. So it wasn't it. Although I did have it in the teaser. And then, um, and then whatever the hell, the Illinois Northwestern. And there was another one. And so I'm just like, well, on the off chance they all lose, I'll put them in a parlay just to cover my floor. And then sure enough, I hit the parlay because they all lost. Wow. Um, And then I would wind live betting uh, because I could see what was happening. But, um, yeah, just just an absolute disaster. I mean, a real disaster. And then I had lost so much that games that I did love that I would have played in a normal situation where I'm not like, oh, I'm going to have to – I'm going to have to move out of my home now. Uh, it was love teasing Florida down to minus five. I know they covered against Florida State and LSU. You could tease down to minus five. Loved that. And Oklahoma State plus 25. Loved that. But Oklahoma, Oklahoma State over did not cover even tease down, which is what I wound up doing. So the other guy I'm texting with as we speak uh is, um, and I guess I can use his name. I'm not going to use his name until he decides to, but DraftKings guy. And DraftKings guy, I think this will be interesting. I think we should have him on the podcast. Well, that's what I'm going to do. Oh. Well, what, what oh. the fuck do you think I was going to have him on? Just like me and him get on the phone? Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what were you talking about, like having him on TMA? No, no, no. I mean like on the podcast. Yeah, that's what yeah, I'm saying. I'd, yeah, so that's I'd what I'm texting about. Brain. Yeah, so he's going to come on. And the thing is, so it's funny to me, I was at uh, Melissa Mars' wedding, our uh, one of our lead salespeople here at the radio station on Saturday night, and some friends I hadn't seen in a while were there, and we were bullshit, and I said, and they know who DraftKings guy is. And I said, yeah, he's become a millionaire, or he's one close to a million dollars. If he hasn't become a millionaire, he's one close to a million, and they're just like, okay. And I'm like, no, seriously, this isn't like, you know, a compulsive liar who's just like telling me shit. We're like in our high school years. This is, I, he sends me the lineups. I see it before they happen, you know? Um, and so like on Saturday night, we were bullshit. And as, as our, our, our college wagers were off hideously. And, uh, and he goes, well, at least the NHL's going well. And he sends me over a lineup where he won $15,000. And it's just like standard shit. Like last Sunday said, how'd the NFL thing go? Cause he was all over the Titans and Jaguars over. And, He's like, oh, I was I was close, but I only wound up winning ten thousand, and it's just like I've never the most I've won on DraftKings in one day was five thousand, and that's one time. And then then, then the closest next thing would be maybe like five hundred, you know. And I do it fairly common. I don't commit to it like him, and he really digs in. Um, but I'm curious. You know, he's like, well, I'm a sports fan and I'm also into math. And I'm curious what the thought process is on this. So I bet a lot of people will be interested in this. At the same time, I'm sure some people are like, yeah, I don't really care. Well, that's fine. This could be an episode you skip. Um, but so he just texted me. So this is all going on as I'm doing the show. If we could do that another time soon, that would be better. Okay. Uh, so I'm responding to him on that. Uh, and then my dad, Tim, I'll be more than happy to do it. What will we cover? And I wrote back your life. He said, well, it's pretty boring except for you guys. I'll have to start reflecting. 
Uh, yeah, and I just said I have a feeling it's going to be great. And I have a feeling it's going to be great. So Gangster Pete thinks I'm going to weep. I I bet everything. My dad will cry. I'll cry. Gangster Pete, you've been made fun of for crying, which I don't think is fair for the record. I don't mind it. But you don't mind it either. I don't know if you will by proxy. Like if you see somebody throw up. Like you start throwing up. I mean, if you both start bawling right in front of me, I don't know if I'm going to control it. I don't know. I don't know if he will. I don't know if he will. But I feel like anytime he starts talking about, and I I now see it now. Now as a parent, I now see it. When you start, the only thing, I don't say the only thing, but the thing that gets me now is stuff with my son and family. But it wasn't that way as much before we had our son, you know, so I'm, I'm only two years into being a decent human being. So I, I have a feeling that's what's going to get him going. And then I don't, but the, but the, but so people have been asking about it. And then what that led to was a couple of weeks ago, I was usually doing questions from the audience from my basement by myself, which is a real wandering festival. And that's when I said, God, it would be so cool to be able to, you know, I'll do this interview with my dad, but I'm really doing it more for not even the audience of this show, but more for my son, my brother Danny's daughters. He has three daughters, my brother Kevin's uh, son, and, you know, me and Danny's my uh, next oldest brother. He's younger than me, and then Kevin's younger than Danny, and then Mara's the youngest. And, you know, fam, I mean, just to have, to always have that. Because when I had Jay Randolph Jr. Um, or Jay Randolph Sr. in, I could tell it meant, and I didn't, I wasn't, even, it didn't even cross my mind to have um, it meant a lot to Jay Jr. that we had Jay Sr. in. And as I've said before, it wasn't because you're, I'm validating his dad's career. His dad's career has been, you know, I mean, it's it's beyond. And, and, and Jay's grandfather was United States Senator from West Virginia, so the Randolph family does not need validation by appearing on this podcast. But for Jay Jr., I think what he was thinking, and we've never discussed this, but for Jay Jr., I think what he was thinking is, I'll always have this, and my kids will always have this, and their kids will always have this. They'll always be able to hear their grandfather or great-grandfather in his own words, his own voice, talking about his life. And so then it hit me in questions from the audience. I'm like, man, how great would it be if I could be like, you know, one of the rare times where I have a long drive and I go, you know what? I want to hear my grandpa. And I can just hear him. I mean, how great would that be? Which then led to me going, God, I wonder if people would be interested in that. And I posted it on the TMA fan page. And the response has been overwhelming to the point that what Pete and I were just talking about before we started this up was, I think we might have something here. And I'm just trying to figure out how to do it. Because there is a cost associated with it. You know, I don't own the radio station, even though it's a running joke on the show and fan page. Uh, and these studios are not our studios. So would we use these studios? Would we build our own studios? You know, and what's the proper price point? But we want to do it well. Do people want video? Do we have different levels of price points? You know, Pete was going, oh, if you do a certain amount of time, it's this. And then if you do a certain amount of time, it's this. If you do video, it's this. I don't know. All I know is, yes, it's something that could turn into a nice business, which, of course, excites me. It's the entrepreneurial mind is always spinning. Pete has that as well. But it's also something that I think people could wind up really loving. And, I mean, listen, that obviously has happened with, you know, some of the stuff we've been involved in with the, the radio show and the podcast. But, you know, that's us entertaining and people getting entertained by either loving it or hating it. But this is something where we can provide a service like an audio portrait um, that 
that people can use and have for their families forever. And that's a, that's something that excites me, you know? So if it's something that interests you, email me at tmckernan at insidestl.com. Um, and I just love, you know, I was at this wedding, um, I had somebody come up to me and said, you know, I'd never listened to your podcast before, but somebody told me about it and I had to drive and I was driving to Jefferson city. And so I'm like, Oh, you know what? This is a good time for me. And I listened to the Kelly chase and the Jeff Fisher interviews and they were just incredible. And I said, well, I said, the, the Jeff Fisher one was more like a cross-examination. That was different than a normal podcast that we've done. And I said, Kelly Chase, you could have this plant doing an interview with Kelly Chase, and it's going to be good. Especially, it's Kelly Chase talking about the Blues winning the Stanley Cup. I mean, that's not... But I, I do think Kelly Chase is probably... The, the, the second Kelly Chase one is probably the gold standard for this podcast. That was so good. So if you've never listened to any of the interviews, that would be the one I would start with. I cried. The, yeah, you cried through about four or five of them, but that one... Because he started crying, didn't he? Oh, when yeah. He was he, talking about when he's oh, standing yeah. on the side of Highway 40 looking at the arch as the Blues win the cup. I mean, that's like a painting. Speaking of paintings. Yeah, I mean, it's great. But then when you add the visual of watching him tell the story, oh, yeah. I mean, it'd be hard not yeah. to cry for anyone. It was, which is why I kind of kicked myself on the fact that we don't have these things being videoed, which is, you know, when it gets down to it, it's on me. Um, but, but uh, so anyway, the, the whole premise, the whole reason for this. So I'm going to have my dad, and I guess... And then so people are like, oh, it'll be interesting to listen to. And I'm, well, he said, you know, you can do these interviews. And I said, I appreciate that. I don't know if it's a talent and I'm not sitting here going, let's talk about whether or not I'm really talented. That's not what I'm saying. I think the re, and I've heard Howard Stern say this and maybe it explains it. I don't know. And I'm not comparing us, of course. I just, I'm a Howard Stern, 100% lemming. And when he's asked about interviews, he says, I'm just really curious. And so for me, I'm, as I'm sitting across from somebody and I don't really care what it is that they do or what they're, what they're talking about. If they're in here, I'm, I'm, in, I'm engaged because they're likely pouring their hearts out and saying things that they normally don't say, which, which is just like, it, 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 it makes my synapses fire. So I just love that. I love it. You know, like for me going to a bar, especially, you know, 43 year old married father, you know, it's about just sitting there and having a drink and bullshitting with people. That's what I love. It's not, okay, there she is. Let's see if we can make that happen. You know, it's, it's just bullshit with people. So I love to bullshit with people. And so like Luke Voigt, you know, our guest this week presented by Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wall Strategies, we did the interview and I had, I'd met Luke once, but it was very brief. Um, but I guess he listens to the TMA, I guess, because I know he followed the TMA Twitter account. And then, then he sat in here for 40 minutes and we just, we talked for another 40 minutes, some about baseball, some about all kinds of shit. And it's just like, I, that's what I like to do. So when these people were paying me this compliment over the weekend, I said, well, it's interesting that you bring that up because we're talking about doing something where we bring in people who are by no means, you know, um, like politicians, athletes, media personality, or anything like that. And I'm just as, if not more enthused about hearing their stories, because in that case, I really don't know their story, but I want to hear their story. I want to help tell their stories by having a conversation with them. And then in the back of my mind, I know that what I'm doing and what Pete's recording is going to be given to families um, for them to always have. And so I feel I feel more pressure on that actually than you know when Jack Danforth's sitting here or something like that, I because I want to make sure that we g 
give people what they want. Uh, and, you know, and as I, when we were initially talking about, it, I was saying, you know, when it's friends, like when friends in their 20s, you just did some trip together, you know, like Ryan Kelly, for example, just climbed a mountain, you know, and they want to come in and they want to talk about it. Just they'll always have that while it's fresh in their memory. I'm all for that. But it seems like based on the emails I've gotten and the people who want to do this, it's more people with their parents or grandparents and they want to hear them talk about their lives. And, um, and if that's something that, that is there, then I want to be able to do it. Pete's along, um, with me on this and, and, and we want to do it. So gangster Pete, I of course, as always have been babbling, uh, team at InsideSTL.com. If you're interested, what are your thoughts, sir? I mean, I think it's a great idea. I wish I had this for my grandpa. Like I'd love to hear all his stories about being in the war and then also like growing up in different times. Like we were talking about the Irishmen, some of the, some of the mm -hmm. time periods. I just love to get like a firsthand account. Like I wish I could go back and listen to something like that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I think it's a great idea. And, uh, I mean, I'd love to have it for a lot of my family. Members. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that I was, and it's not just like, and I feel like what's, and it's fine. I mean, if that's what the way it goes down, then that's the way that it goes down. Um, which is people are like their parents or grandparents, like I said, but it doesn't have to be that it can be like, like I would love to hear from my dad when he was my age and hear what he's thinking. You know, my main thing on it, if it is going to wind up being a lot of people bringing in their parents or grandparents, um, I just feel like that, and I don't know if this is unique to Western civilization, if it's unique to the United States, I don't know, but I do feel like that we oftentimes kind of marginalize people once they stop working. And then it's kind of like, you're just checking in on them and they move to Florida, they play golf or, oh, he still looks good for this age or whatever it is. And I just feel like we have this incredible resource of wisdom that that we just kind of go, oh, well, you know, he's 70 something now. So, or she's 70 something now and or he's 80 something now, you know, he's still around. Oh, that's good. You know, it's like they've been there. They've been to the destination on which we all hope to get to. They've traveled the road. So they know what is on the road and that has incredible value. And so even if I wasn't asking somebody about their own family, I'm, that those are questions that I'm going to ask um, because that's what I'm, that's what I'm really curious about. You know, I oftentimes talk about Bert Kaufman, the gentleman who owned um, 920 when we were at CBS sports 920. And you know, while I I don't know what the, he wasn't my boss per se, but I was cutting him a check for his radio station, not to buy it, but I bought the time each month, you know, that we, when we programmed the whole radio station, and I just would listen to him and, and I just, I can tell he has great amounts of wisdom. I've made reference to him, I think before saying, don't spend any time on things that have no upside and don't ever get in a public dispute with somebody who you know is a liar. And I like when it's that simple because then it's easy to remember, you know, I mean, that was six years ago. He told me that stuff and I'm like, yeah. And I kind of, and then you kind of like start living by it. And now I can kind of tell with my dad who was, I mean, he was, he was all work. I mean, he searched for people who know him. They also, oh, no, he played. And yeah, he absolutely played. And he still does in the capacity of he'll have a drink with you. I mean, he could drink me under the table. But, uh, I mean, it was all about work. And I remember there was a guy, um, it was a dry cleaners on Watson Road. And uh, and he talked about this guy. He's in there every day at five in the morning. Timmy, this guy is unbelievable. He is great. And I remember thinking, I was like in high school, I'm like, 
I think that's fucking terrible. I think that's so sad. And then what happens? I'm not making this up. It sounds like it's so fitting. He died. I mean, of course, eventually everybody, but like he, well, he wasn't, I don't think, I don't even know if he was out of his fifties. And I'm just like, well, isn't, doesn't that make it even sadder? Cause now all he did was work and now it's over. And so that's, I think where my dad's mindset was when he was in his forties. And now I feel like, and I don't know if he would ever admit that he was, I don't know if wrong would be the right way or that he's changed, but I get the sense that, you know, that he will have a different perspective on that. You know, it's kind of like, I don't know, we've had some career discussions on things that, God, if I were asking him his opinion even 10 years ago, he'd be like, oh, yeah, you got to do that. And he's like, I don't know. You know, you want to enjoy yourself. The most important thing is you're there for Jameson. And I'm just like, wow, how about this? So I like that. You know, I like don't like, but I've read articles about people being interviewed when they're in the hospital and they know they're probably not getting out, which may sound morbid to people, but and I'm not doing it because I like, you know, getting off. It is, it's, it's morbid to me too, but what are they thinking when they know that they're at the end of the road? Because that's to me when you have the most clarity and I, I think there's value in that. So anyway, I'm really looking forward to this. We already have some people lined up. Um, and, you know, and I, and, and I don't know, I, I have no idea which direction I'll go. I haven't done one yet. I'm going to, inter I believe I'm going to interview my father. It sounds like he's on board. Um, I think he's kind of in the mindset, maybe like how Courtney Bryant was, where she's like, I don't know what we're going to talk about for an hour. And then Courtney's now been on twice. I don't know what the hell we're going to talk about. I'm legitimately anxious because I know his dad died of a heart attack very suddenly in his mid fifties. And, you know, he was the father of four. And for those four kids, their world was changed. And I think his obvious, I mean, again, that goes without saying what an obvious statement, but I mean, it was rocked. Um, also an obvious statement. And, um, my grand, my dad's dad was a dentist and I understand as I understand anyway, they lived, and this is St. Raphael's parish on the South side, but this was obviously the 1950s early sixties and Stan Musial lived there and Red Shandings lived there. And so my grandma was friends with them and kind of enjoying a nice situation. And then like within a week she was working like, you know, like on a department store floor, you know, because she had to get a job immediately because the world, you know, just changed immediately like what that was like. And then my dad had to go work in the mail room at KPLR TV. And then he wound up becoming the general sales manager. I mean, that's a hell of a story. So when he's sitting there going, I don't know what we're talking about. I'm like, that's a pretty, that's a damn good story in and of itself. And he was the general sales manager at KFNS from 98 to 2004. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. I'm just naturally curious. I'll be engaged and I'll be engaged when there are people that I'm just meeting for the first time and I had never heard of before their sons or grandsons or daughters or granddaughters contacted me to do an interview. I can't wait to do it. I, and I hope it, I hope it catches on. Um, because again, I think it could be a great business. Don't get me wrong. That is always at the center of anything that you're doing when it has to do with work. But, you know, this thing could wind up being something that could be something where people, you know, it, it's cherished for their families. Some people will be listening to it who aren't even alive right now and it'll mean the world to them. And that's, if this winds up taking, then that would be a pretty cool service to provide. Cause it's like gangster P, like you were saying to be, if you're driving around you could be like, God, yeah, I just want to listen to my grandpa today and hear about what, like what you're talking about with regard to the Irishman, that time period was like, that's what I want to hear. You yeah. Know? It's like a, kind of like a living time capsule yeah. type deal. Yeah. 
So I don't know. I'm excited about it. So if you're interested in that, we'll have more on it here. Uh, but email me at tmckernan at insidestl.com. I have a bunch of questions in email. I posted something on the fan page, um, but I just did it like 20 minutes ago, so I don't know how much is on the fan page. But I didn't do anything um, with the emails last week, so I have a bunch saved. Plus, I've got new ones. I'm just trying to see where anything is on the... Um, yeah, I got a bunch of them. But I did want to talk about the Irishman, so Gangster Pete is going to be in on that. Uh, so I'm just going to go through the questions because I want to make sure I get in Gangster Pete. I want your involvement. And maybe we have one that really gets people going. Maybe not. All right, I'm just going to read from top to bottom. We start with the most recent. I think the system for electing presidents in the United States is fair since it gives a voice to most people throughout the country. But I think allowing the people of Iowa, which makes up 0.95% of the U.S. population, to be the primary decider for choosing the party candidate is madness. Thus, my question is, if you could throw out the primary and caucus system, what would you replace it with? That's from the hunchback of Vaughn Castle. Gangster Pete, the floor is yours. Ryan Kelly's the home loan expert, and he is the sponsor of our studios here on the Tim McKernan Show. Without him, we don't have a podcast. So make sure you're supporting our sponsor, Ryan Kelly, the homeloanexpert.com. And with interest rates dropping and this being home buying season, this is a prime time to get in and get yourself a great rate and lock in. Or if you want to refinance, now's the time to do so. Ryan Kelly's the person to do it with. He is online at thehomeloanexpert.com. Ryan Kelly, the studio sponsor of this program. Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com. I, I just have an app where I can just vote for everybody to vote <laughs> on their app. As bad as Gangster Pete's answer was, I actually don't have one, so he wins by default. Although I agree 100%, I think the combination of Iowa and South Carolina to be two of the first three are dangerous. Well, what I'm saying is the app, you'd have a bigger representation of what everybody oh, I thinks see, I see rather what, than I see what being you're focused saying. on Iowa and South okay, Carolina. Okay, I see what you're saying. Because I, 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 Iowa is, it, not only is it 0.95% of the population, it's not even remotely close to representative of the demographic of the United States in 2019. That's number one. And then number two, with South Carolina, I mean, who's going to succeed there? You know, it's not representative also of the population. And so, and then it weeds people out. Like right now, um, the thought process is Pete Buttigieg is going to do incredibly well in Iowa and likely at this moment, who knows where it will be in a couple of months when it actually happens, but uh, top three finish in New Hampshire. And then they're just like, but he's going to get stomped and in South Carolina. Why? Well, he hasn't resonated with the African-American vote and he's gay. So in the South, that's going to be tough for him to overcome. And so he is going to, and that could really damage his campaign. I'm just like, wow, that's because we're, so yes, I agree with that. The honest thing is I don't really have a solution to it. I don't know. I just think that I think, and I think it's, I think it's probably been a bigger problem for the Republicans because if you're not really preaching about social conservative elements, then you're going to have a tough time with Republican caucus members in Iowa and the religious right in South Carolina. So two of the first three. So I agree with you. Gangster Pete came up with a solution. I don't have one. Uh, next one. Hey, Tim, really enjoy the po- more politics. Hey, Tim, really enjoy the political questions that have been discussed on QFT over the past few weeks. Do you have any recommendations on podcasts or news shows for someone who is relatively new to politics? Everything now is so biased, which I know is the game. One extra thought. Uh, we obviously 
learned nothing from polling data last election. Do you see the same this time around? I still think the closet Trump supporters will be there, but there may be lots of new anti-Trump voters who haven't voted before that will now vote to ensure he won't be reelected. How do polls reflect that? That comes from Mo. Uh, Gangster Pete, uh, I always like when you give podcasts. I think you're you're more in tune with the podcast world than I am, even though we're both podcasts all over the place. Do you have a recommendation on podcast, political podcast? Uh, political podcast, uh, I like to listen to Rogan. He just had Tessie or Tulsi Gabbard on, Tulsi Gabbard yeah. on there with uh, Jocko Wilnick, who's been on it before. He's good, too. Uh, he also had Bernie on. Even though I don't necessarily agree with all of what they think, I like to hear what they have to say in like a different a different setting where it's more long form answers where it's not just a sound sound bite you know mm-hmm. so I get a lot of stuff from there uh, the Sam Harris podcast is really good I'm a big fan of that yeah the ones you've sent me I've loved that loved that but uh, I don't get as deep into the political stuff as you do like I'm so put off by how I feel like every single network has an agenda like somebody's paying for it you know what I mean to get kind of what they feel out. Uh, Matt Taibbi, he's a journalist that was recently on Rogan. I highly, highly recommend it. Now, uh, if, I, if I'm thinking of who he is, and I'm pretty sure because he's been on Bill Maher. Yeah, I'm sure he has. And didn't he used to write for Rolling Stone? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. I was thinking of the right guy. Super smart guy. And he, I was he, always in the impression he was far to the left. Well, he is, but he doesn't think it's his job to insert his opinion into his articles. His job is like old school reporters to report the facts and let you decide. And now it is so hard to find a news source where that is the case. Like there's. Well, he has a podcast. I'm typing him in a search engine right now. But he's recently on Joe Rogan, like in the last week or two. And it's fantastic. He was on like a year ago talking about the financial crisis he explains the financial crisis more clearly and simply than anyone I've ever heard explain it. I, he wrote an article. I thought it was him and I just typed, that's why I typed him into a search engine on John. I'm pretty sure he, let me put, make this clear. I'm pretty sure he did. No, it was not it was Tim Dickinson. Okay. All right. Cause I remember reading in Rolling Stone and just like it, w- I mean, absolutely tore John McCain apart. I mean, tore him apart and I'd never seen anybody say the type of stuff that was said about John McCain and, and, and it's still it, it sticks with me um, because I always viewed John McCain even as somebody who was an enthusiastic Barack Obama voter um, had it not been Barack Obama I would have voted for John McCain assuming he wouldn't have then chosen Sarah Palin because I couldn't have gotten on board with that but um, and I thought that was Taibbi but it looks like it's a gentleman named Tim Dickinson um, but yeah, I've seen Taibbi on, and I guess he has a podcast, so maybe I'll have to listen. That's interesting you say that because I think sometimes I think people say that everybody is biased and I, and I, and I, and I don't know if that's necessarily the case. So then it's like, like I enjoy, I, I make sure to watch meet the press and Chris Wallace on Sunday mornings, or if I don't get a chance to watch it on Sunday morning, I, like last night I was watching it at nine o'clock. My dad says Chris Wallace is the only guy that's not. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Uh, and so that's why I, and, and I don't feel like Chuck Todd is, but I know a lot of conservatives say, oh my God, you got to be kidding me. But I also had some conservatives say, when you said Anderson Cooper, I agree with you on that, which was interesting. That was good to hear that. I, that was my read. Chris Wallace catches some hell from Fox news viewers that they feel like he, cause if you're only in the bubble and then all, all right. of a sudden he comes at something that's outside the bubble, then they go, my God, what's wrong with Chris Wallace? But he's not in the bubble. Right. So I like to hear that because obviously he's going to have conservatives on 
as does Chuck Todd, but they're in the minority. Um, on Chris Wallace's, there's going to be most likely in the majority. And I like, I just like to hear where it's coming from, but I like to hear it's when it's not like, and I don't know how you separate it when it's like, it's somebody like really giving their honest opinion, even if it's something I disagree with, as opposed to somebody I'm like, Oh, this guy's or this girl's bought and paid for. And I just, it's like, it's just like fast forward through it. It's just, it's just garbage. And I don't give a fuck where it's coming from left, right. It doesn't matter. It's just, you know, Kellyanne Conway pops up. I'm just like, okay, that's that, that'll do it. Let's move on. You know, I mean, I, I just, I, I don't, I don't, I don't need it. So, uh, but I want to hear from conservatives who are like, this is the, this is, you know, this is why, uh, as, as Timmy recap said in last week's, uh, QFTA, show me the work. I'm, I'm on board with that. I thought it was interesting. Chuck Todd and, uh, what's the, the, the Senator, Senator Kennedy from uh, Louisiana had a hell of an exchange yesterday regarding, you know, essentially Kennedy quoting Putin uh, when he was talking about the 2016 election. And Chuck's like, how can you say this? This is a, but Kennedy apologized for what he said on Chris Wallace the week before. And I had seen him on Chris Wallace the week before. So I don't have um, go-to podcasts or go-to coverage, but that's what I do to try to balance, um, perceived anyway, balance it out. All right, next question. I'm firing through, I'm firing through them, Jack, because I want to make sure I get them in. Uh, let's see here. Um, we get into the Mizzou stuff. Although this was pre Barry Odom firing, it was from last week. And this is a long one. Uh, hi, Tim. I have a question for you. I went to Missouri state, but I'm a big Mizzou fan since they are the big time college program in the state, not a tiger board member, but I follow the team relatively closely and I try to watch most football games and we'll try to watch hoops when they are watchable, meaning have a legit shot of making the tournament. One thing I was interested in seeing was how Mizzou would handle the St. Louis market when the Rams left. As much self-deprecating as we are, St. Louis is a top 20 market that lost an NFL team. For the business side of Mizzou athletics, you would think this would be a time to go after the St. Louis market to produce more revenue dollars. There's a void of big-time football in this market, and you're only two hours away and playing the best conference in the country. How do you not try to target and market more in St. Louis? Maybe convert Rams season ticket holders over to Mizzou season ticket holders. Get information out there on how to get tickets, where to stay in Columbia, where to park, etc. I'm a, I'm a fan, and I don't know where to go, where to stay in Columbia. Where should I tailgate? The one thing I cannot believe is how they have not scheduled a game in St. Louis yet. I know this year they scheduled some more games at Arrowhead in the future, but why not play a September game in St. Louis to see if you can grow the market here? Maybe I'm naive, but I think you would get a pretty good crowd in St. Louis for, say, Missouri, West Virginia. Uh, this year for the only fact that it would be the biggest football we've seen since that Thursday night Rams Buccaneers game almost four years ago. Now go down and drink some beers and watch some college football on a Saturday in my city. Count me in. I bring this up because of the recent discussion about the athletic department, not being in the best spot financially, which may affect what they do with Barry Odom. That's what I said. He wrote this before the Odom firing. I really thought when the Rams left, you would see Mizzou try to blitz this market and try to pick up the money that people spent on the Rams and try to fill that void. Instead, I feel like they did nothing but hang up a few billboards claiming this is Mizzou country. Now as someone in business, I find the way they have handled the St. Louis market laughable, curious to know your perspective, Eric Fleming. I'd give that email of the day if that were sent on the Ryan Kelly morning after. Yep. What do you think? Yeah, Ring the Pete. bell. Oh, yeah, you like that. Uh, I totally agree. I think that they should be. But I also think one of the main problems, and he mentioned it, is not knowing where to stay. I mean, if you want to go to Columbia and stay somewhere that's like halfway decent, you got like the Tiger Hotel and you got the Broadway. Well, you know what the game is now? Airbnb. Yeah. That's Airbnb. the game now. That's that's, that's changed the world for going to college games. Because I couldn't agree with you more. That was the biggest issue for me. Right. Because it's such an easy drive. 
But if you want to have a taste yeah. while you're down there, you don't want to drive back the same night. So you need a place to stay. Not everybody has friends in Columbia. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that, that I, I feel like, and then this sometimes upsets. There's this, there's this faction. I don't know what percentage it is of Missouri fans. And I am one of you, but like, it's like, it actually kind of reminds me of the Republican party, like how it became the rhino thing, Republican in name only. Like if you are not hardcore, then you are not a Missouri fan. <laughs> And it's this weird thing. And it's like, I am a Missouri fan. The last, the holy grail for me as a sports fan is Missouri, really Missouri football. I mean, I'm not that into college basketball anymore. Maybe that changes if Missouri got good um, or St. Louis U got good. But I just don't, I just, I just, I don't even have any interest. I watched Missouri play last week against Butler. I watched them play against Xavier. I think the Billikens are fun to watch right the now. The Billikens are actually the team to watch. Yeah. I just, but I just can't, I just, I, for whatever reason, I can't get it. And listen, I'm not saying, I'm so therefore you shouldn't like college basketball. I don't, if people do, they do. But college football is in a different world than college basketball for me. So with that said, there is, so when I say this, it's not intended, it's like if you say anything that's critical Missouri, it's like, oh, McKernan, he likes porn, so his opinion doesn't count. You know, it's like that's what the, where these guys, and they're usually older, but it doesn't matter, older, younger. I've been observing this since the mid-1990s. For whatever reason, and I don't know why, but Eric, you sent in this question. It's a great question. I've always kind of viewed it more from a media relations standpoint, but for whatever reason, I don't think Missouri has done a good job marketing itself in general, not just to St. Louis. I don't think St. Louis needs to be treated in a special manner. Um, but St. Louis is the city that lost its NFL team. And I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, you did have the billboards. But God, it, you know, and I, and I don't know. I, I think there's there's a hell of a lot more to playing a game in St. Louis than just like, well, there's a vacancy. So why? And I'm not saying that you're wrong, Eric. I'm just saying... It's not that simple. I mean, you have businesses in Columbia that are substantially impacted by taking a game that otherwise would be in Columbia and moving it. You have fans on the west side of the state for sure, southwest or northwest, where all of a sudden now it's changed. I mean, it's just you have students. You know, the fact that Arkansas plays some games in Little Rock when I was there and you just saw Missouri play in Little Rock uh, is a huge deal in that state. That is a very divisive topic there. Um, but I mean, it's, it's Arkansas. It doesn't have two major metropolitan areas. So, and, you know, in the, in the state university, which is rare, usually they're in the center of states, usually, uh, is, you know, damn near Oklahoma and Missouri in the Northwest part of Arkansas. So it's tough if you're an Arkansas fan in South Arkansas, Southeast Arkansas, it's a, it's a, it's a drive. So that's why they try to appeal to the older fans who, you know, want to go to games, but don't want to go to Fayetteville. So they go to Little Rock. So with that said, the, the St. Louis game thing, I would I would enjoy it, but that I'll take off the table, although I think there may be some validity to it. I think the Illinois game was a great way to start the season. I'm sure some people in Kansas City didn't really care for it. I'm sure some people in Columbia didn't really care for it because it took a home gateway. But the marketing thing and getting the coaches out, it's like if, if I said to Peter Iggy, hey, well, I want to get, you know, before he was let go, Barry Odom on the podcast or Conzo Martin, I mean – we have a better chance of getting, you know, Barack Obama on, I feel like. Right. And it's nuts. It's nuts. And then and then if you do, then it's almost like you have to like, and I don't know this to be the case. We had Pinkle on, on this radio show regularly, but it was this awkward thing every week that all of us dreaded. Because if you were in a bad mood, then we were going to get talked down to. And we can't really say anything about it because you have this, you don't, you know, it's like he'd be, 
he'd be very brief. He didn't want to do it. It was just awkward. But then he's my first guest on this podcast, and it was incredible. And then, again, kind of like what I was talking about with Luke Voigt. Then we sat there and talked in his house. I did the interview at his house, and we sat there and talked for like 40 minutes. But at the same time, he's retired. It's a different different tone. But I think that stuff helps. It's like being a candidate. You get yourself out there. Hopefully, whoever the new football coach is does that. But I feel like it's a Missouri culture thing because you can't pin it on the sports information department. It's different than it was when I was there. Um the athletic director, Jim Stark, wasn't there when I was there. Mike Alden was. And before him, it was Joe Castiglione, who's, I believe, still in Oklahoma, right? I mean, he's like one of those tenured guys. Um, so I feel like that's I feel like that's part of the game because you have this. You, it's always been kind of like now at this point, it's like a joke, this sleeping giant. But it is. But it's not. It's like, yeah, you can't bitch about Odom because you don't go to the games. And it's like, what the fuck? fuck, can I not bitch about Mike Schilt because I didn't go to the Cardinal? I mean, what, what, what is that? Why does that, where does, what does that even come from? But it's like accepted in the Missouri fan bubble. Well, he doesn't go to the games. The fuck's that got to do with anything? I watch them all, you know, back when none of the games were on TV. I get that being a legitimate complaint. Now it's like this dogma that's been passed along since the 90s and early 2000s when all the games were on TV. The fuck's that matter? I saw the same thing you did. I probably saw it better actually because I was at home. You know, I have a two-year-old. It's not easy to go down to Columbia with a two-year-old. It's not easy to go across the street with a two-year-old. And some people don't have a whole day to set aside. But if the program wins, people go. Look at the game against A&M in 13 to win the SEC East and look at the game against Arkansas in 14 to win the SEC East. People will go. But Barry Odom, just for whatever reason, never really caught on. And I don't know what that was about. I would have loved for him to have caught on. I don't know. I felt like... And Pete, you had kind of a an up and down relationship, not with him as an individual, but as a fan. I just felt like to me it rung hollow. And it was like the the thing after they got blown off the field in 17 by Auburn. Uh, and then most recently the thing where he cited I have more wins of any coach here since Warren Powers in my first four years. And I'm just like, oh my God. This isn't about leading. This is about keeping your job. And that, and I always kind of felt that. I got that sense. And then that 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 confirmed it for me. And I'm just like, they're going to keep them. They're going to keep them. And I get it because it won't be about football, about the financial situation and the and the and the crap with the NCAA, which sucks for whoever comes in. But um, I just, for whatever reason, I, I he didn't get the job done. I mean, it's just he just didn't get the job done. I don't even know why there's even like morning about it. Well, that's I mean, it what it comes been... down to because he didn't get it done. Like, I wanted it to work. I, I think you, you wanted it to work. Mm-hmm. It would have been better if it would have worked. You wouldn't be starting over. You'd have a guy that's not going anywhere. If it would have worked, it would have been great, but it just didn't. And it became obvious that it wasn't working. I just, uh, yeah, that 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 was that was kind of the, I mean, I was already like, and I was, I was always surprised. I mean, and I'm not doing it because cause Gabe DeArmond truly is like a, a friend of mine. He's not just like you know, we're like, oh, no, he's a friend. He, no, he's really like a friend of mine. We text about shit that has nothing to do with Missouri and the radio show and his stuff. Um, but when he was on in like mid-October and he's like, and I, I put the poll up on whether or not you want on Twitter, whether or not you want Barry Odom to keep his job. And he, you know, retweeted it and said, you know, people can answer this question they want. But just to let you know, there's n- almost no way he's losing his job. And this was before it all started up. And I'm just like. I don't get this. And I think Gabe and I, it's like people in a political party. I think Gabe and I have a different vision of what Missouri can be. 
And I have to tell you, I would I would lend a lot of credence to, of course, what Gabe thinks. A hell of a lot more than mine. He's around it. But I just, I don't give a damn where you are. You set the bar high. Not not that you sit there and go, okay, now we're going to become the greatest thing ever or anything like that. But you go, here's, we, we've done this. We can do more. And it's not like I'm coming at it. You know, I mean, Liberty is not going to win the national championship. But Missouri was a win away from playing for the national championship twice in the last 12 years. I mean, people can like shit on that. But it's a real thing. It's a real thing. And they played for their conference championship in both the Big 12 and SEC twice in the last 12 years. And they were in the top five in the country in 2010 when they didn't play for the conference championship after beating number one Oklahoma. And they were undefeated going into Nebraska. So it's kind of like this thing. It's kind of like a drive-by message board or Twitter attack. Like, wow, it's Missouri. You guys just are delusional. I'm not saying Missouri's Alabama. I'm not even saying Missouri's you know, take your pick of something that would be below Alabama, but kind of in the mix here and there every once in a while. Uh, Oregon, I guess. You know, I'm not saying that, but I think it can be. And when we saw what was possible here, November 2015 is if I could do like 30 for 30s that are local, that's a 30 for 30. And it's impact on so many different things. And four years later, it's still impacting things because in December of 2014, less than a year before that, Missouri was on the field with Alabama playing for the SEC championship. And a year later, a number of big Missouri fans had gone, that's it, I'm done. And the head coach of that team that had been on the sidelines in Atlanta back-to-back years had retired. And a lot of people were like, well, he retired because he botched the handling of that. And in reality, he had told people in May that he was going to have to resign because he has lymphoma. And so you have effects of that because that's why Barry Odom got the job because they weren't going to be able to hire anybody else. And you have all these effects of it years later. And it's a real shame because the program did have momentum. Uh, And I was calling for uh, Pinkle to be let go after the 2012 season. I wrote about it. So I've been right about a lot of things. You know, I don't know, intuition, I guess, for whatever reason. Fortunately, I've been right on that one. I was wrong as can be. Remember writing about it. It's probably still up on InsideSTL.com. Um, but with Odom, I never got it. I'm just like, what has he done? I mean, I get there's been bad losses, but you know, th- those are going to happen. Kirby Smart's got the worst loss of anybody right now. Who's going to, who's in the mix for the national championship. He lost at home to South Carolina, but he's also won a bunch of huge games. Barry Odom won one game in Gainesville. Other than that, he had a bunch of bad losses and this was his fourth year. Come on. So yeah, I, I, but, but, you know, that wasn't the question. The question was about Missouri marketing itself, and I couldn't agree more. It's just a, to me, it's a monster miss. You know, more people now are talking Missouri football here because it is the only team that we have in St. Louis. And a lot of people, by the way, have just tuned out the NFL. So this is their football. And so it's a real opportunity, and I really wish – uh, that they would get that because it should be something like, oh, like we look right now, Pete, we're looking at the home schedule next year and you're going, oh my God, you know, central Arkansas and eastern Michigan and Louisiana. Shit. But it, if you're going to a game in Oxford, Mississippi, you don't go who are they playing. You go, fuck, we're going to have a pony. This is going to be a good day. When I went up to see Notre Dame play with my family in September, yeah, I mean, I would have wished it would have been Stanford or USC or Michigan, but you know, it was New Mexico and New Mexico was dreadful, but it was, you're at Notre Dame and you're tailgating. And that, that's, that, that's really what college football is about is about the experience of the game day. And right now people are like, Oh, it's kind of a pain in the ass to go down there. And like you said, for me now with Airbnb, it's changed. 
But it used to be, yeah, I want to drink. What am I going to do? I'm like, uh, you know, get a bus or something, you know, or, you know, have somebody like be the designated driver. It kind of sucks. So now you can stay down there. It's a, it's a little easier. That's what we did with Notre Dame. Got an Airbnb. I don't know. I, I, I get fired up about it because I really do think it could be and should be something that everybody, you know, who's a college football fan, you have this team in the SEC. And that's why Odom kind of, I was like, you're not, you're not out there and, and, and leading. You're like, you're like a salesman trying to sell us on you and justify your existence as the head coach. You know what? You win games. You don't have to do that. You, you don't lose to Wyoming and get blown off the field by Purdue and middle Tennessee state and fucking Vanderbilt and never beat Kentucky. I mean, dude, the hell. And he, he you think he's going to get hired as a head coach now? I mean, nowhere near the size of Mizzou, no. I, my my players will be defensive coordinator at Virginia Tech. Justin Fuente is to where he was with Memphis. Right. And Bud Foster, who's, I think, won the Broyles Award before. I know when I was in Little Rock, he was nominated for it. Uh, that's where that award for the best assistant coach in college football is. Foster's resigning, and I bet he goes there. That's where I would bet. But, and the Mizzou, they don't have, like, the Grove. Or they don't have, like, the sprawling lawns like they have in Baton Rouge. But when we're good... Those parking lots get crowded. Oh, and they're fun. Yeah. It's the greatest. They're not as pretty, but they're they're a great it's time. The greatest. When and people who don't, packed. you know, you know, a lot of people, of course, who went to school there, or you just have friends from Kansas City. It's it's your way to meet people midpoint who you haven't seen in a while and hang out. Yeah, and so it should be a great thing. And and most people, you know, I mean, I went out of my like, who wouldn't to drive four and a half hours to Kansas City for that game in two thousand seven, and it was like two degrees, but you didn't give a shit. And in part, it was at Arrowhead, which made it even better because it's a great football atmosphere, but it's it's the whole atmosphere and the energy that gets people fired up about things. That's, that's the thing that's so yeah. good about college football. That south end zone's awesome. I got to sit in there last game. Oh, really? Got, we had the box and everything, and it is really cool. So I hope that, and I don't know what direct, I really don't know. I, I, as, as I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm starting to wonder if the, if the, uh, the Lane Kiffin thing is, is actually real. <laughs> Uh, which I think around 24, and, and many of you will listen to this, and, and he might already be like an Arkansas or something by the time you listen to this. But as I'm saying, I'm starting to go, oh my God, I think this might actually be real. Whereas before, I'd, I kind of thought Lane Kiffin was kind of like on the island of misfit toys, and we never really see him anywhere but tweeting weird shit about Florida <laughs> Atlantic. That's kind of and weird shit about Saban. I never thought we'd see him again. And now I'm like, oh my God, he might go to Arkansas or Ole Miss or Missouri. What the hell happened? Would you be excited by the lane train? My heart says yes. My head says no. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's kind of like a big free. It's like when the Cardinals were looking at Giancarlo Stanton. I'm like, they will hate this deal within two years. But in the right. short term, it'll be exciting. It'd certainly be exciting. People it'll definitely be exciting. Football. I'd be very excited to see how it Maybe he's out. learned. I mean, it's like people are like, this is when we were talking about the Quinn Snyder analogy. Yeah. Now Quinn Snyder is one of the best coaches in the NBA. That, that's what my buddies were saying last night. He's like, he already went through his Quinn Snyder right. stage. You know, he's 44 years old. Maybe he did. I don't know. I mean, certainly dealing with, you know, St. Louis and Kansas City media will be nothing when you've dealt with Al Davis and Knoxville and USC and, yeah, and like work for Saban. Shit. He might like a chance to stick it to Tennessee. That's the thing. I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm I'm legitimately intrigued by it. I'm happy they made the move. I'm not happy it didn't work out. But I I the my my biggest emotion throughout in particular like before it became obvious. I'm talking about even after the Ole Miss game because we talk about it on the show. And at that time, they were ranked. And I'd be like, yeah, I guess they might be really good. But what are we basing it on? 
Troy, SEMO, South Carolina, Ole Miss. What other one am I leaving out? West Virginia. It was a crappy West Virginia team. That's why they were in the top 25. And the best team of those teams, I think, might have been Wyoming, by the way. Uh, weird as that played out. Wyoming wound up not being bad this year. I mean, relative, again, to the, the teams in the school's name and tradition. So I, I just like, I'm not sure. And so it's like Barry Odom and getting fired. Going, Based on what? You win one game in Gainesville and you're like, you become Don Corleone? I just don't get it. So, so I never got that. I'm so scared we're going to botch this hire. But do you agree that he doesn't make the move if he doesn't know he's got this guy? Yeah, and then, yeah, my buddy played me a voicemail where one of the athletic directors was telling him 10 to 14 days, like Gabe said today. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think he's telling This must be somebody, that. one of your buddies who balls because he must be a donor. Yeah, he balls so hard. Does he really? Look uh, at him, 37, 38 years old, and he's he gets those phone calls? Wow, yeah, who's yeah. this guy? But uh, It's not G-Unit. It can't be G-Unit based no, on his picks because he's got to be broke. But, yeah, they said 10 to 14 days, and I'm like, there's no way they'd be telling those guys that. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's my guess is it's somebody who's got to play a game there, coach a game this weekend. Yeah. That's what I think. Yeah. And the yeah. lane train does, does he not? He does. Yeah. yeah. Not not necessarily in Atlanta, <laughs> but but he will be there. I saw him. In, I saw him. I saw him on the sidelines. I went to that. I went to both the Auburn. Do you go to those games, Auburn, Alabama, down there? Uh, I've not been to, down there now for the SEC championship. I went to both those games, and somehow I sat with TJ Mo in 2014. He got tickets for doing some like speaking engagement for the SEC and it was like four rows off the field but it was in the Alabama section for those who remember that game there wasn't a whole lot to cheer about from the Missouri standpoint not that that was real surprising um but Kiffin's thing was and I remember seeing him do it the ball would be released Celebrating before and his it's hands caught. would be up yeah. and the ball's in the air and his hands are already up for the touchdown and then it would be a touchdown I'm like this I, I get such a kick out of that shit <laughs> I he's love got that the white, stuff. the white jacket on on the sideline yeah, and he's the, got swagger. the visor I don't know man it'd get people going uh, <laughs> alright what else do we have here I'm trying to go through and then I want to go into the Irishman and I could dig deep on the Irishman Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies can't emphasize enough how important it is to have a, a financial advisor but then it's not just any financial advisor. It's somebody who who knows but cares. You can, plenty of people can know but cares. And Mark Hanna helps everyday people every day get their finances organized. You can call him at 314-889-0503. That's 314-889-0503. Or go online to evergreenstl.com. His name is Mark Hanna. He is with Evergreen Wealth Strategies. And I can tell you from getting to know Mark here over the last year, that this is a first-class person who has your best interests at heart, and just calling him at 314-889-0503 is going to make you feel better and you're on the right track. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies, 314-889-0503, or go online at evergreenstl.com. Hello, Tim. I hope you're enjoying your vacation. This was sent on Tuesday, November 19th. Uh, I wanted to ask a two-part question. I do not live in the county, so I want to get someone's perspective from the county on the issue. But what would be the biggest negative as well as the biggest positive to a county resident's quality of life if the city and county were to merge? Oh, I should this. I should have. I should have just not put this one aside, <laughs> just because it's too. You still can. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, you can just edit it out. Uh, you've also said you grew up in the city. What could a city resident like myself lose gain from the merger? It comes from Mr. S. It's, it's, it's a it's a great question. It's not a question that I am honestly prepared to answer with with giving you anything of value or honesty outside of me saying I don't know. So I don't the honest answer is I don't know. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Um, I, I could see some kind of form of it happening, but I don't think necessarily a merger. Um, 
I th- well, when I say anytime soon, I think something's going to change within the next 10 years. I just don't know if it'll be the proverbial merger. Um, I think, I think th- there was a lot of momentum for it. And I think better together being a debacle blew up that momentum, but I think there's still interest, but I think people look at oh, the merger that's better together. And you saw how big of a disaster that was. And so people associate the merger with better together. And that's now going to have to be yet another, uh, mountain that'll have to be climbed. Gangster Pete, you have any, uh, any thoughts on this? Or would you like me to just move on to somebody telling me a story about lesbianism? Uh, lesbians, lesbianism sounds good. Yeah, it'd be great if that were what the question was, but it's uh, not. Hey, Tim, on June trick. 25th, I sent in a question asking if in 10 to 15 years you saw St. Louis in the same grouping as rising cities like Nashville, Austin, Louisville, and Indianapolis or deteriorating cities like Detroit or Cleveland. To take this one meta step further, does this question and perhaps the fact that I even asked it show the self-esteem issue in St. Louis? Uh, it seems in many ways that the city is still suffering from the ego kick that was the departure of the St. Louis Rams in January of 16. As a result, we look for people to tell us everything is okay. Do you believe that the city is still suffering from a public image issue? Thanks, Austin. Yes, it is. It, I, I won't back away from that. It is suffering. But I think it's. I think that's external as well as internal. Ask people around the country if you travel what they think of St. Louis. And they're going to go, oh, Ferguson. Oh, you guys lost the Rams. Oh, crime. Those are the things. Or, oh, baseball, maybe, which is kind of like the, if somebody said, oh, I'm from Green Bay. What's the first thing you think of? Football, Packers. Yeah, right away. Lambeau. Right. Frozen Tundra. So that's, so. but but my thought is, and it's like it's almost like I'm a politician that I just keep hammering this home, but I really believe this to be the case. Because of those things that I just listed, there is now an acknowledgement by, I think, the majority of the community that we have problems. When in reality, I think we've had problems for, actually, I'd go back decades uh, to get to this point. It doesn't just happen. But before, people, because a lot of times people don't travel outside of St. Louis, they haven't lived outside of St. Louis, um, to know that this is a lot different than most of the other top 25 markets in the country. You were just in Chicago this weekend. I, now I realize Chicago and St. Louis, it's not a fair comparison. You're talking about the third largest city in the country. But, you know, it's a different world. But like Charlotte, North Carolina and Austin, Texas are smaller cities, and those are different worlds as well. Yeah, but some of the things that it, the smaller things are better about St. Louis than Chicago. Like there's neighborhoods where you can't park certain times a day. I mean, it, you're just, it's impossible. Like St. Louis has a bunch of cool little neighborhoods, not on the scale of Chicago, obviously. But it's easy to get to all of them. You can go wherever you want, whenever you want. So, I mean, there's some benefits there that people just ignore because of the bad stuff. Yeah. And I just, I think, I mean, I think I'm just, and maybe I'm wrong on this and I don't even know if I'll be here in 10 years. Um, I have, I, I truly have no idea, but, uh, and it's not because I'm like, oh, I got to get the fuck out of here. It's, I just don't know if that was going to happen. I have no idea. I, I don't know if I'll be here in a month, but I, I, and that's, don't, don't read into that. I feel like that's inevitably going to lead to emails. Are you leaving TMA? No, it's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying in general, I have no idea. I don't know what that was going on. Um, what I'm saying is I would be surprised, big time surprised actually, if, cause this is really what the question was. Do I see it moving in the Nashville, Austin, Louisville and in Indianapolis direction or the Detroit direction? Um, I would be big time surprised if it's not moving in the, not necessarily at that rate because Nashville and Austin are in a different world as far as how fast that's happened. But if it's not moving in that direction, I'd be shocked. I'd be shocked. And I, and that's not said, cause listen, if I didn't think that I wouldn't say that, but that's, I feel, 
I think the one, I don't want to say the one thing, but a thing that is lacking is leadership. That is, that is a major thing that is lacking that somebody that people can turn to or feel like, even if the person really isn't, but the, the figurehead and go, this person, he or she is really leading this. And I know has the region's best interests at heart and we can count on he or she to do that. And I can't think of any, I truly can't think of anyone who I feel like I can, uh, but that's, that's why I get so worked up about Manavani because I felt like he would have been in that category. Gangster Pete, what are your thoughts? I mean, I agree with you that the Manavani thing really still bothers me. And then after having him in here, realizing how many times he'd have to run to make yeah. it work, it yeah. doesn't sound like he is probably going to be that guy. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know who, who's up, who's up next. All right, it's not lesbianism, but it's a but it's a synapses firing. Tim, after reading the article on the Athletic that discusses NHL players' use of cocaine slash Molly in the brief discussion on TMA, I was curious to get your thoughts on cocaine use, and wonder if it's a problem in society. For reference, I live in Chicago and I'm in my mid twenties. Here, you can text a guy and have an eight ball delivered within thirty minutes. In fact, you can text several guys. It's easy to get. This isn't just Chicago either. Similar situations in Los Angeles, Dallas, and St. Louis. Now, maybe my friend group just likes the powder, but 90% of us went to Catholic high schools, either Mizzou or private colleges, and have respectable jobs. In Chicago, you will see it just about every weekend. Last time I was in St. Louis for the Blues Cup run, I was at, I'm not going to name the place, and people were doing key bumps in the pisser line, not even the stall. My buddy got me to the upstairs section and people were again doing bumps like it was casual. I know you joke about it on TMA and don't know if you have even partaken in the festivities, but was it popular in your college days and years after college? Is it becoming a problem because it's so fucking easy to get? Curious to hear what you think. Thanks, Timmy. That comes from P. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't, I mean, you know, again, uh, at this point in my life, it's not something, it'd be kind of weird if I were around it at this point, <laughs> you know, I'm like a father. Uh, but I mean, listen, I know there's plenty of guys who are fathers who are doing it. Uh, I was around it in college quite a bit. And then the, the years after, and I had some wonderful, I don't know if I would call them relationships, but experiences with strippers. And as you might imagine, it was prevalent there. And for whatever reason, and I don't know why, I think I told the, the story briefly, um, but I never did it. And it's not a case of, oh, I got, this is my Bill Clinton. I, you know, didn't inhale thing. It's just, I didn't do it. And I, there was one time where I was like, ah, oh, fuck it. I'm shit faced. I'll just try it. And I, and honestly, I don't even think that'd be that big of a deal if I did, but whatever, I guess, I guess some people would freak out, but I didn't. And the reason why one of the guys, and he was a seasoned veteran of it, uh, he goes, no, he goes, don't get started on this shit. And this was like right after he had just snorted a line himself. And it's like I said, it's like two in the morning. And, um, and he said, no, don't get started on this shit. And I guess, and I don't know. Um, well, I mean, I guess it's obvious. It's obviously addictive, but there are plenty of people who do it and they go, yeah, I'm not addicted. Like I didn't get addicted to smoking, even though I smoked a decent amount. I look back on that. I go, what the fuck was I doing? But it's like gambling. Like how many times have I sat here with you, Pete and go, yeah, I'm just not fucking doing it. And then I come in and I go, God damn it. I did it. And, and, and this guy was with uh, one other guy at the wedding. We were bullshitting. And we're sitting there, we're monitoring Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. I'm like, why did I do this to myself? Like, like there's just no upside, and I know better. But and you know what the honest answer is? I do this when it gets cold here because I get bored. 
That's yeah. it. That's it. And if my son were just a little bit older, I mean, I play with him like crazy as it is. And I love him. We just wind up driving around and going and do shit. And I can't get enough of it. I really cannot get enough of it. It's like heaven for me. It's the greatest thing in the world. I'm sure many of you already know this. Uh, I'm just starting to experience it though. But uh, it's like I'm, I play poker again. And fortunately, I'm actually, I still have it. So I'm winning with poker. But sports gambling, it's like, oh shit, now I got this. Now I got this much on the Georgia, Georgia Tech under. So I got a live bet this. And I can't get a number, so now I'm exposed on if it lands on this or this. And it's like, why the fuck did I do this with myself? And it's so stupid. So the, and, and so this guy I'm talking to on Saturday night goes, it's like cocaine, isn't it? And I'm like, God, there's another Coke reference. I'm like, I don't fucking know. But, yeah, because it's like you're, you're, you're sitting there out. checking your scores. <laughs> yeah, he's feeling me out to see if I party. You holding, bro? Yeah, see if I party. So, I don't know, gangster Pete. I mean, you go out a hell of a lot more than I do. I go out, uh, and we go out when we're in Vegas or Miami, and obviously it's there. But if you, it's not like people force it on you. you no, know? I mean, I think if you have money, whatever your drug of choice is, you can acquire it. It's not that big a deal. I mean, I don't I don't see, like, oh, yeah, it's more than ever. I mean, it's just Yeah, like, I don't know. I don't people, know. People can get what they want if they have the money to pay for it. I, I really... I don't know if it is more now. It was certainly, but it was with a certain group of people. And it was, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know. I didn't do it. And I haven't like, like I feel passionately about sports gambling. I would say to somebody who's about to place their first bet, the same thing, the guy who kept me from doing a line, <laughs> don't do it. Run. Don't do it for real. Don't do it. Like, I guess, I guess the key is if you're like, I'm now I'm talking sports gambling. The key is, is like bet something that is like a fifth of the number that you're comfortable losing to the point that it's kind of like fun, but like, you don't really care. Like yesterday it got to a point like, okay, Saturday was such a fucking disaster <laughs> that I lost so much. I mean, I just like, I, I'm like, what night, what have I done? Then I'm like, okay. So I just fucking paid it. I'm just like, okay, fuck it. And, uh, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do a $50 four game. Cause those four game teasers in the NFL still are the tits. Yeah. They just are. And of course it wins. And then I'm like, okay. And then I do another little $25. And if I would have lost, I wouldn't have given a shit. The problem I get into, it's like, I love this college and I love this college. All right, now I'll put them all in a bunch of different ones. And then if all hell breaks loose, like what happened with Illinois and Northwestern and what happened with the Georgia, Georgia Tech under, and what was the other one? Minnesota plus 15 against Wisconsin. But I feel like there was another one at 11 that we were talking about. Oh, Michigan plus 20 against yeah. Ohio State. That if that happens, then you're going to have just one of those in those four game teasers and it blows them all up. So that's the, that's the direction that I had and it was a disaster. And so I just don't, I don't want people to go through that. And there's just, and what happens is, and I think for as much as I talk about it and kind of sound like I'm all worked up about it and the whole scheme of things, you know, I can control it. Thank God. But I am familiar with people and I'm sure there's even more than, than I'm familiar with because they're not going to talk about it publicly who they really get in a bad way, like a real bad way. Like, as I've talked about on the pick six podcast, if I have to, and it doesn't, I give a dollar value, people freak out. Like even just saying a $25 teaser, not caring about it. It's not meant to be like a, anything about finance finances, but like to a point where whatever it is, it doesn't matter if you're making 10 grand a year, or you're making 2 million a year and you, you, it's all relative to what you have. And all of a sudden now you're in a spot where it's like, oh shit, I don't know what to do. I'm in a bad way here. That's why I tell, and I think that, I think that's where you have a similarity with cocaine. It's like, oh my God, I need it. And I need money because I need to get this drug. What the, f and that's, that's what I see with sports gambling. So on the cocaine thing, 
I honestly don't know. I, I, maybe it's more popular now than it was in the 19 late nineties and early two thousands. I honestly can't tell you. I was around it. I was around it a bunch and I just didn't even think it. if I was around it like this weekend, I wouldn't think any, I just don't care. But for some people, it really freaks them out. And I just don't fucking care. But back in the nineties, people were, some people were that way about weed. And I'm just like, okay, do it. I don't have to fucking do it. And if I do want to do it, I'll do it. It's like, I just don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't care. Gangster Pete, were you around? I bet you were around it. You had to be around it. Oh uh, yeah. I've I, seen, I know I've where seen, you're coming from. So I know you. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, another political question. And then I'm going Irishman. I still haven't gotten all the questions. Uh, oh my God. Oh, I do this. And then I go, oh shit. I, I, I want them to be layups. It's kind of like Tony Kornheiser saying, we'll get you out of here on this. That's what I need the last question to be. Uh, hey Tim, I just read an article and I'm not going to do it. I'm actually going to, I'll read it next week. My promise to you, Matt is I'll read it next week, but I'm going Irishman because it's just too good of a question and it doesn't, it, it deserves more than me using it as like a little way to get out. I'm going into the Irishman. You know, James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency is my insurance agent. So this is a first hand endorsement of James Carlton and his staff in Webster Groves. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. I think a lot of people just go, okay, well, I've got a guy got a lady. I'm good. I don't really care to talk about insurance. It's something, you know, I'm 25, whatever. And that's fine. I understand. I used to think the same way. And then I go down to my basement on March 30th of 2019 and the basement's flooded and the world changes. It just so happens because my interactions with James have been so positive that my wife and I switched to James Carlton, uh, in late 2018. And I'm telling you, if we had not, the odyssey that has been a flooded basement throughout all of this precipitation in St. Louis would have been infinitely more difficult to navigate without somebody as active. And on top of it is James Carlton. His phone number is 314-961-4800, or you can go online at carltoninsurance.net. And even now he still checks in, you know, I mean, it's, it's just a different ball game. And even before we had that, which of course was a substantial issue, um, you know, we weren't covered on, on something or I had forgotten to make a payment. It wasn't like it was like some monster payment. It was a small payment. But he's like, hey, just so you know, uh, you haven't made this payment. We want to make sure that's taken care of so you're covered. It's just, it's, it's just different. It's different in a much better way. And that's why, you know, if, if you ran into me at a, at a bar or restaurant and said, hey, you know, and I have had it happen. Hey, Tim, who's that insurance agent? People email me. And I go, oh, it's James Carlton. Here, let me include him on the on the email and I know he's going to be on top of it. I don't think twice about it. It's not like, I'm like, Oh yeah, let me tell you about him. And then somebody actually wants to follow up. And I'm like, Oh God, I hope he does. Okay. The best, the absolute best. And you're talking about your biggest investments. So you want to make sure they're taken care of properly. James Carlton and his staff at Carlton state farm insurance agency will certainly do that. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton state farm. So, Gangster Pete and I are going to talk about the Irishman. This is the time now to bail. We want to thank thehomeloanexpert.com. Spoilers ahead. That's right. We want to thank thehomeloanexpert.com. We want to thank Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies. We want to thank Johnny Landoff Chevrolet, Highway 270, and the Washington Elizabeth Exit online at uh, landoff.com, Chevy Find New Rose, Design Air Heating and Cooling, designairservice.com, and then James Carlton, the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agent, 314-961-4800, or go online at carltoninsurance.net. So, if you don't want to hear about the Irishman, bail. Bail now. Bail now. Let's talk about the Irishman. I've been wanting to do this 
in general. And the only person I've really talked about it with outside of my dad and my brother, who I went to the movie with originally, and then I watched it a second time, was with my wife uh, a couple days later. And Gangster Pete, uh, for 22 years, I have told people that my three favorite movies are The Graduate, The Godfather, and Goodwill Hunting. I love Goodwill Hunting, by the way. Uh, all favorite. right, so we're probably on the same page with what we like. And I now think I have to put The Irishman in the top three, and I think Goodwill Hunting will be the one that goes out. It's not a shot at Goodwill Hunting. It's just it's how much I loved The Irishman. It's a dialogue-heavy movie that requires you paying attention that is, from my standpoint, full of symbolism, and also it does something that usually movies do not do, which is it depresses the fuck out of you in the final 20 minutes <laughs> as opposed to get you walking out of the theater uplifted. That's my nutshell takeaway. Your takeaway, sir. Yeah, I mean, it's a fantastic movie. It's very well done. It's definitely not a feel-good movie. Uh, I really enjoyed it, but it's not something that I'd want to watch over and over again. Like, if I see Goodwill Hunting on, I'm going to keep watching that. But this... There's parts of it that I would watch until maybe till the end, but uh, even the end was great. But it's just it's not a feel good movie. Oh yeah, it is. It's a serious story. It, it there are people, and I can't name names because some of them people be familiar with, um, who they'll entertain the hell out of me. But uh, when I'm done having the conversation, I'm like I mean like real, like I'll be laughing. I can't control. I'm laughing so hard. But when I get done with it. I feel worse about the world because some of the stories are like, yeah, and this guy's fucking around on her and he's, you know, doing this and then she's doing this. And I'm just like, yeah, well, you know, this situation with this team, they're doing that. And I'm just like, oh God, I mean, this is entertaining and it's amusing, but holy shit, this is depressing. Uh, the Irishman was not necessarily in that capacity by that. I mean, like you're laughing, of course, but it is so good that, I, I kind of, if anything, went into it going, there's no way it can be that good because it's had so much hype for a while about this De Niro, Pesci, Pacino, Scorsese get together that there's no way it can be that good. And I actually thought I actually thought the reason it was called The Irishman was because I thought it had to do with Jack Kennedy, right. JFK. And he's obviously a part of it. Nobody's playing him. Uh, it certainly is, is if anything, more about Robert Kennedy uh, as the attorney general. But it's, you know, the Irishman is the De Niro character. Um, and, and I had no idea Jimmy Hoffa's involvement. And the only thing yeah, I, I didn't know, know that going in at all. And I bet a lot for a lot of people, like m probably my age and younger, like they may be familiar with Jimmy Hoffa in the sense that like, oh, is he buried? You know, Giant Stadium is no longer there. But he's like buried in the end zone of Giant Stadium. Um, like my wife, who's, you know, what is she, seven years, eight years younger than me. Uh, Jimmy Hoffa's like, what, you know, I mean, it's heard of Jimmy Hoffa, but doesn't know like the, and so that's kind of for our age group. We don't know. I didn't know he was like Elvis and the Beatles. I had no, no idea. I just, the thing with Jimmy Hoffa is where the hell is he? Right. You know? Um, and so that, that really became, you know, the story, but the, but, but so you're having these fig figures from history in this story with these incredible actors but the, to me, the storyline, that's actually the backdrop to what I think the message of the movie is. And I think so the people who don't like it and people are like passionate about, wow, you liked it. I thought it was nowhere good as Goodfellas or Casino or Godfather. It's like, OK, I, you know, and I, I don't know. I think I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. I, 
What do you I think, think, I think the it theme takes is? A, I think it takes a certain kind of person to really enjoy it, so to speak. And I could probably line up people and go, he would like it and he wouldn't. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like my mom would hate it. My dad would like it. All right. So it's kind of one of those that like you got you to be able to like dig in. And I was very lucky. And it was just a, a coincidence that I wound up seeing it at a movie theater. I don't know when the last time I've been in a movie theater is because it forced me to not fuck off on my phone, you know, or Jameson wasn't running around that I had to, you know, tend to that. So I, and and that's what I said to people on the podcast last week. If you're going to see it and you really want to take it in, see it in a movie theater, or, you know, if you are single and you don't have kids running around, then, then you can watch it whenever. But even if you're single and you like fuck off on your iPad or your phone or your computer, you know, you're going to get distracted. You need to commit to it. But what I was saying is the, these famous characters and these famous actors, and by this historical characters, um, are, I don't know, no, like the, the ships on which the two main messages are carried. And the two main messages are family and the aging process and loyalty really tied into the aging process. Um, and if this is Martin Scorsese's final piece of work, and I would have to think it is, and these guys as a group, I mean, what are the chances they're working together again in 10 years? I mean, just that's not likely. We're looking at the math here. Uh, that they're all known mainly for their work in mafia movies. Wherever you want to go with it, obviously, De Niro and Pacino with uh, Godfather and Scorsese with Goodfellas and Casino and I might be leaving something out um, to an extent with the departed, the Irish mob. And, uh, and if anything, it's like, yeah, this is what it's like. It's not, it's not romantic because the guys who didn't get to be like De Niro and sit there completely by himself and not even know it's Christmas (laughs) uh, are all listed when they first appear with a graphic saying, how they died. I thought that was so telling. It's like anyone in that world that wasn't like at the very top. That's how they went out. Was dead. That's how they, and they, everybody who's in that thing, you found out how they died. And how many bullets it took. With the Now, my dad, interestingly enough, and I don't think he was right on this, he never watched The Sopranos. Uh, so we get done and we go into the bar at the Chase and we're all having some beers, me, my brother, Kevin, and my dad. And all we're doing is talking about the movie. And my dad goes, so what, you think that's it? You think he died right there? Which is like the Sopranos ending. It did, right. it did fade to black, and it was black for a while. I don't, I don't think, I don't know. That's not how I interpreted it. What I took away from it was, and I'm curious if you saw this, because some people, like I told my wife, she goes, well, yeah, everybody would see that. Because this is the thing. This comes from the door. Sw- the door. Yeah. And what do you remember about that door? Well, that's Hoffa used to exactly. keep his door cracked. Exactly. Same thing. And part of it was because he wanted to not be in a spot where he was vulnerable, even though he was vulnerable anyway. And part of it was he wanted to see if anybody was coming, in De Niro's case, to to visit him. Right. Which then gets back to the family element. And in that scene with Pesci and De Niro at the bowling alley, where clearly Peggy, who was later played by Anna Paquin, um, has zero interest in talking with Joe Pesci's character. And uh, I thought that was great dialogue between De Niro and Pesci. It was just classic. Um, and then Pesci's, you know, Pesci and his wife, the real character, the real mob boss, couldn't have kids. 
And she was played by uh, Artie Bucco's wife from Sopranos. Oh, Pesci's yeah, wife. Think about that. Uh, a uniquely beautiful woman. Yeah. Uh, and she's like, we can't have kids, so keep an eye on your family. That's important. Keep an eye on your family. And that, I mean, that to me is, for example, not for example, it's an important part of it. That wedding is the centerpiece of the picture of the film. Doug would scold me for calling it a picture. The wedding with Ray Romano's character giving away his daughter. It's how the whole thing starts. You know, the trip from wherever the hell they're coming from. What, Philly to Detroit? Is that the deal? Or Detroit, as they said. Okay, and and then De Niro maps it out. Uh, But they show him putting up the invitation to that wedding. A split second before they show that. Do you know what they show? I mean, it's a split second. You have to be really locked in. This is what comes with seeing it twice. Yeah, I don't remember. And you, you, you don't even know if you saw it twice, if you'd know. But I caught it. It was Pacino as Hoffa getting shot like from a different angle, too, because when you see it, it's like you're seeing it from the living room. Right. But this is a side angle, and only you see Pacino's face and him getting shot. That's what they show right before. And if you don't know, you don't know what you just saw. You right. just saw a guy getting shot. Right. Well, the centerpiece, that wedding, which then finally happens two hours and 15 minutes in, two and a half hours in, right before the Hoffa killing, the Pacino killing, is where Romano, the attorney, gives his daughter away. And they show that whole thing, which it's kind of like, why do they need to show the wedding? They show that whole thing. He gives his daughter away, kisses her, which is, now I don't have a daughter, but anybody who has a daughter, my understanding is that is the moment. That is the moment you think of on the day you have your daughter is that moment. It's a moment you look forward to and hope you're around for, and it's a moment you dread. I think, I think that's what's going on. So he gets to experience that, even though he's crooked himself. And then the very next scene is De Niro coming home, and the news is on, and the family, including Peggy, Anna Paquin, are watching the news on Jimmy Hoffa. He pours himself a drink, sits down, and says, I haven't even called Joe, Hoffa's wife, in two days. And she goes, she hadn't talked to him in forever. Why haven't you called Joe? And he goes, that's the last day she ever talked to me. It's the last day she ever talked to me. That moment. So you see, and again, it's it's put, and so that's the thing. So I'm looking at this stuff from that perspective with the movie. I'm not just like, man, there's not a lot of, you know, you know, funny guys who get frozen in a meat locker. You know, that's not how I'm viewing the movie. And I'm not saying that that's just, that's why I'm like, oh my God, I see what they're doing. And it's so fucking good. Like the first time Pesci and De Niro are actually having a conversation outside of when he helps him with his truck broken down is at that restaurant and De Niro, who's a Mick, you know, an Irish guy, he starts busting out the Italian when he's talking to Pesci, but it's because he served in, in World War II in Italy and he picked some up and what are they doing? They're taking the bread, they're each taking the bread and they're dipping it in the wine and they're speaking Italian. What's the final scene where they're finally together? It's their last supper. They're in jail together. They have the bread, they're dipping it in wine, they're talking and Pesci goes, and this is something that happened years beforehand. You know, I didn't really want it to end that way with Jimmy but I chose us over him. So fuck him. Yeah. You know? And then he gets, wheel- and he gets wheeled out and that's it. And you just see this shit. And it's just like, Oh, I haven't seen a movie like this in so long. And it just gives me a rush. And so I recognize, I don't know. Cause critics have, I think it's 96 or 98% on rotten tomatoes. Yeah. I was just looking at that. So critics here. love it. 
it's uh but I gather 96, 96 from the critics, 86 from the audience. Yeah, but it's okay. But I gather some in the audience are just like, yeah, I don't enjoy it. And it's fine. I mean, people don't like it. People don't like it. Like there's plenty of things that I, you know, like the wire, for example, I got to give it another shot. It's so good. Okay. Cause people feel that way. And, yeah. and, and I think, I, I think the wire would be an example of, I wasn't really paying attention. Right. And so I didn't really get into it. Oh yeah. There's not a wasted, there's not a wasted scene in the wire. Yeah. Which so, you I mean, realize I got, as you get going, I got to, I got to commit to it, but it's a different deal to like commit to a, like a series, especially when you have a two year old, um, and Anne and Marie didn't really get into it. And so it's like, we kind of moved on like midway through the second season. And so when people talk about the wire, we went like, I just like, I don't get it, you know? So I, I sense that there are some people, uh, now some people just don't want to be called a lemming. So they automatically take the opposite stance of me. So I recognize that's part of it. It's a weird way to live, but I know that that goes on, but that some people are just like, I didn't think it was that good. And if you didn't think it was that good, God bless. It's not like, it's not like this is a year. It's a subjective thing. God, I, like I'd watch it. I just, I think it's because every time you watch it, I feel like I find something new and it's so fucking good. And the performances are so good. And the use of the music is it was a signature with Scorsese yeah. movies is so good. And really, I don't think, I mean, I guess with the, the Departed though is a different type of movie, but we really hadn't gotten that since I think Casino, which was 95. So it's like, oh, it's so good to have that again. It's such a reminder of how great it is. All the scenes and the sets are great too. Oh. Like it feels like you're there. Like it's that time period. Yeah. Like it's just so well done. Like every little detail I thought was fantastic. I prefer dialogue driven movies more than. Yeah. Like so you were on the same page on that. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I loved it. Like I was on the edge of my seat. Like, yeah, there weren't like car chases and explosions, but I was on the edge of my seat seeing what they'd say next. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My, my, and for my dad and we're, we happened to be seeing it at the chase and KPLR was at the chase up until I don't even know when now all out in Maryland Heights. Uh, but when he worked there from, you know, whatever it was, the mid late sixties until 91, it was at the chase. And so a lot of those guys would stay there. And so he's like, I guess well, he leaned over. Goes, oh, I'm not him. Oh, I saw that guy. Oh yeah. Kennedy stayed across the street here as in JFK stayed across the street. You know, not something my dad was working there, obviously he was killed in November 63, but you know, and then, you know, in, in our neighborhood, you know, and obviously we're Irish, but you know, there were mob bosses in the neighborhood. Um, you can type it up and you can find it. <laughs> I'm not going to be the one to be, but it was, you know, uh, go ahead, sir. Oh, it just reminded you start talking about seeing all those people around. And it reminded me there, there are some like really comical parts in the movie, like how Hoffa just hated Kennedy. Oh yeah. <laughs> like he starts yelling at his guys about how, how could you mess up like that? He's on my ass. And then Robert De Niro's character gets upset and walks out. He's like, why are you talking to me like that? Like, I didn't mean you. I didn't mean you. Yeah. There were some, uh, God, I can't remember. There a couple things. I don't know. And like, like his thing with ice cream, oh, you know, yeah. I was eating ice cream, like four different scenes. Yeah. Uh, and the thing with being late, which you knew, like, since that was brought up, right. it's a textbook Scorsese move. You made a big point of that. That you knew that at some point that was going to be right. relevant. And when we're talking about these guys, but you also had Harvey Keitel in the movie, uh, Anna Paquin, who I think, if I'm not mistaken, she won an Academy Award at a very young age. I could be wrong. I could have sworn. But I, I, I might, might be off on that. Oh, fuck it. Something She's I can look up. She's a vampire. Was that what she was in? She was but, in Was Blood. it like The Piano? Was that the movie that she was in and won an Academy Award? Oh, I, I don't know what you want. Uh, I could be I could be confusing her with somebody else. Either way, it's a bunch of uh, a bunch of what is this? I just I typed her in a search engine. I see news. Robert De Niro defends Best supporting actress in the piano. Oh, I was right. Oh, look at me. 
Uh, Robert De Niro defends Anna Paquin's role in The Irishman. What is this? The hell? Are there complaints that? Oh, don't, don't, don't do this to me. I don't mean, do because I, no I think I know where this it. is going, and I can't, I can't, I can't do it. Now it's going to turn this into a totally different podcast. I'm just going to read. It's on CNN.com, and I know what they do, so I have a feeling I know what this is going to be, and it's not going to go well. Yeah. Anna Paquin has an important role in The Irishman, but you couldn't tell it by her lines. She's the shy character. <laughs> the actress speaks just seven words in the three and a half. In the, well done on the editing on this. Well, way to go back and read through it. The actor, I'm just going to read what the article is. I would add words so it makes sense, but I'm going to read what I'm reading. The actress speaks just seven words in the three and a half long. I think somebody left out hours and didn't bother to reread it before submitting it. Netflix film directed by Martin Scorsese. The Oscar-winning actress plays Peggy Sheeran, the adult daughter of mafia hitman Frank Sheeran, portrayed by Robert De Niro. In the film, Peggy is shown growing up and becoming close to her father's friend, union leader Jimmy Hoffa, played by Al Pacino. Yeah, that's an important part of this that I had not said yet. She, uh, so she has questions when Hoffa goes missing, and her father reveals that he has not yet reached out to Hoffa's wife. Why, Peggy asks Frank, to which he responds, What? Why, she asks again. Why what, Frank says. Why haven't you called Joe, she asks. And that's all the dialogue the former True Blood star gets, which has stirred debate between those who think her silence in other scenes speaks volumes and viewers who complain she was underused. And, of course, now we screenshot random people on Twitter who are complaining about this. Everyone is attacking Scorsese for the fact that Anna Paquin has one speaking line in The Irishman when they should be mentioning that she's doing some of her best work in the film. How about instead of the Irishman, it's the Guyrishman, and it's just for us fellas. No lines for Anna Paquin. De Niro plays, praised Paquin's role in an interview with USA Today. She was very powerful, and that's what it was. Maybe in other scenes there could have been some interaction between Frank and her possibly, but that's how it was. She's terrific, and it resonates. Last month, Paquin addressed rumors she was forced to appear in the film with a tweet from her official account. What the fuck? Forced to appear in the film? Oh, how awful would it be? You'll have to twist my arm to appear with Martin Scorsese, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, and Joe Pesci. Uh, and she writes, nope, nobody was doing any ordering. I auditioned for the privilege of joining the incredible cast of the film, and I'm incredibly proud to get to be a part of it. What in the fuck? Well, she's not that age the whole movie, so Anna Paquin's not in the yeah. whole movie, first of all. And then second of all, I think it almost carries more weight. That she doesn't talk to yes, him. Yes, that she, How is she realizes what's going on. How is this even possible that we're at a point that we can't pick up on this shit and we got to address sex, we got to attach sexism to it? It's so annoying. It does such a damaging role to legitimate cases of it. It's... That's, yeah, that's the big issue. I mean, so let's go back to the other, the, the, the lead female characters in Goodfellas in Casino, you had Sharon Stone, who was coked up <laughs> and, and cheating on De Niro. What a wonderful role. It was an honorable role for a woman. She needed a new sponsor. And, and then, yes, she did. And then, uh, and then uh, Goodfellas, you had Lorraine Bracco. Who was great in that movie. Who was incredible in the movie, but it's not like yeah. she was revered as this strong right. woman. She was a flawed character herself. Yeah. Turned on by the fact that her husband was a mobster growing up in a conservative Jewish family. It was a turn on for her yeah, and she's I, flushing I like, white down the toilet. I like that about her. So, I mean, 
God, I, this is. I'm. I'm this. I'm. I know. I'm. Let being it go. Ro- Let it go. I, I'm being roped into it. It's one guy on Don't Twitter that the game. article was based on. You got to be fucking kidding me. You know, I mean, there's also no African Americans minus De Niro's caretaker at the end. But that was the way that I mean, it'd be shit. Like if I were watching straight out of Compton and there'd just be like a white dude <laughs> sitting there, I'd be like, "What the fuck's he doing there?" That wasn't the scene. Uh. You're not allowed to be accurate anymore. Oh, my God. What the fuck are we doing here? Well, anyway, the movie's great, and I'm not going to focus on me getting caught up on just going to search for uh, whether or not Anna Paquin had won an Academy Award, which she had. I like the movie. Listen, and if you don't like it, it's fine. There's no need. Listen, if people don't like it, it's totally cool. I loved it. It's fine. It's, like I said to Anna Marie, I said, I think, I, mean, I think this thing is my top three. She goes, I'd be surprised if you feel that way. And she loved it, too, to be clear. She goes, that it's my top three now. She goes, I wonder if you'll feel that way in five years. I'd be surprised if you do. And I go, I don't know. It's kind of like when Goodfellas, last night I go to bed, I put The Godfather on. It happened to be on BBC. Uh, I just watch it. You know, Shawshank. People use, I think I think I will do that with this movie. And as I said to you, Pete, and we both love Goodwill Hunting, it was on yeah. Sunday morning and I had it on and there's a couple scenes and I don't know, I mean, I appreciate Minnie Driver and all that, but there are just a couple scenes where I'm kind of like, oh, I've seen this, I can kind of see, I don't really care. It's the interaction between Robin... Williams and Matt Damon, the interaction between Matt Damon and Affleck and Casey Affleck and uh, the guy with the voice that I love uh, that that stands out to me, the mini driver stuff. I hate the scene where he breaks up with her. Right. Just because it's like, it's like almost awkward, yeah. how emotional, and I think that was like real because they were really together at that time. So yeah. it's kind of like a weird deal and I don't know how much that's real and I don't know what the fuck. But I love the movie. But I think I, I, I can't replace The Graduate and I can't replace The Godfather, so... By you know, by default, the Irishman replaces Goodwill Hunting. God, I loved that movie. I loved that movie. It's just uh, anything. Oh, so the thing. So one of the things. This is what Iggy was getting ready to jump on this morning, but we were having Gabe on, and he can't wait to do it because it's like the invoke thing to complain about is that when De Niro's beating up the guy who runs the grocery store, he looks like an old man. I'm like. So, so I'd seen that criticism before I watched it a second right. time with Anna Marie because it didn't stand out to me the first time. And so I'm like, yeah, yeah, he does. And I don't know, I don't know why it needed to be shot that way because it's one shot that whole right. time. It's one camera. It follows him coming down the street with, with Peggy. And then he goes into the store, no camera movement. It's just one, one static shot. And why they did it, so they could have done it in a way where he didn't look like, because how old is De Niro? He's in his at least mid-70s. Yeah, at least. Um, and I, he does look. I guess 70. Um, let me go here. I might see six. something else now that'll irritate me when I go into a search engine. 76, you are correct. Well done, sir. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I, I guess. But, like, did that, did, that, did that, like, destroy the other three and a half hours for people? I, maybe it did. I don't know. I, when I was first watching, I knew they were using that technology to make them look younger. Right. And so, like, I was looking at that at the beginning, and it was so well done that I just kind of forgot about it. Right. And I, I didn't think they it's got like, older. I've seen people go, De Niro's eyes are blue. And I'm like, he's playing a fucking Mick. That's our deal. You know, a lot of us have blue eyes. That's the deal. Just nitpicking. I mean, you know. Yeah, but, but, but social media. Yeah. So, like, if Casino would have come out in 2019, people would have, I don't know what they would have bitched about, but they would have bitched about it. So it's fine, though. But if people didn't like the movie, they didn't like the movie. It, it, if it, You know, because it, it is three and a half hours. But when I, Anna Marie and I was started at 840, and I looked at her and I said, I just don't know. I I'm, I just don't know. I'm kind of on tilt. So I'm like, I wanted to watch it tonight, but you know, and I want to watch it with you. 
but now it's like we're going to watch it half and half, and that won't be the same impact, and then you might not, you know, get the same feel on it. And then we get going, and I'm like, this is so, it, it, I can't believe it's three and a half hours. So Godfather, the Godfather Part 1 is two hours and 58 minutes. Is that what we did? We looked that up, and then Godfather Part 2 is three hours and 20 minutes. Um, and a lot of people like Godfather Part 2 more than the original, and maybe it's because I haven't seen Godfather Part 2 as many times that I don't have an appreciate. Do you like, do you have a preference on that? Uh, I like them both. I think, I don't know. I like I mean, the I think first one better. Um, and I'm not sure why I do. I just know that I do, but I don't know if I'd appreciate the second one more. Um, and even with the first one, there's still things as you watch it again, like you pick up on, you know, like, cause I don't, I don't know Barzini and Tataglia by face. And then I'm like, I caught Marlon Brando say, no, Barzini's the one who did the hit, not Tataglia. He's in the back of the car with Tom Hagen. And I'm like, okay, now I got to go look up who's Barzini and who's that. It's like, oh, it's Chris Connie's grandfather. Who would have thought? The former safety for the Buccaneers and the, uh, I can't remember who else he played for, but uh, Richard Conti. But um, I don't know. I think this thing will hold up. But uh, yeah, the criticism of it, like when I read the critics, like I wanted to see the ones that didn't like it and then what they didn't like about it. And it was also kind of, it wasn't like they weren't focused on the grocery store thing. I feel like that's kind of a fan page phenomenon that, but um, it, that the, uh, um, that the, the, it just felt like it was too long and it's a Scorsese flaw too long. And I personally didn't. I don't care how long or short a movie it's is. Good. It's good. good. It's yeah. good. Like, yeah. I almost don't want it to end. All right. You know, I don't, but I, I thought when he killed Hoff, I'm like, okay, that'll be it. And I'm like, and then it, and it's just like a split second thought. I'm like, but they got to tie up. They got to tie up what really, this is really like they've tied up that like the, the loyalty, the choose, and his lack of understanding of what he's done and remorse. They tied that up with the priest, and that is with his daughter. who That's really this thing that it's kind of in the background, but at the core, I think it's the thread of the story. And and he goes to see her at the bank, knowing it might be the last time he ever suggests to talk to her, and she, no interest, and walks away. And then he goes to see the other daughter, and she's like, Daddy you realize how tough it was for us because we couldn't go to you with problems because we know if you went to with problems, how you were going to handle it, which is why the grocery store scene yeah. is important. Oh yeah. Because that's when Peggy was like, I don't want oh, to do it. Oh, that's a really important yeah. scene. Yeah. Because that's when she saw what yeah. her dad did and, uh, and then had zero interest in being around Joe Pesci, but she saw Jimmy Hoffa like a father figure and then her father kills her father. And so it's just, I just, I don't know. I mean, there's so much there. I can't imagine I'll see another movie re in, in the near future that'll have that kind of impact on because I haven't seen a movie in the last, I don't know, I'm sure somebody could point to one and go, you raved about this movie, maybe, but I didn't feel that way about it. I love The Departed, don't get me wrong, but I, it didn't have that kind of holy shit that it did for me with this. And I'm glad I saw it a second time, which I know sounds weird, but I did wonder in part, is it, I'm just so happy that I went and see this with my dad and my brother spontaneously on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, which is always a great day. Uh, and then we go and we have some beers and we see it at the chase and I'm like, okay, maybe I was too high on how I saw it as opposed to what I saw. And then I saw it on my couch in my basement with my wife and I'm like, oh, fuck thing. I think it's even better now, <laughs> yeah. you know? So I welcome feedback on it. Gangster Pete, anything else you want to say about it? Were you upset by anybody else not getting to talk enough because they were a female? No, I'm all good. I enjoyed it. Great movie. Go see it. Uh, yeah, and I would recommend if you could see it in the theater. All right. Uh, send your questions in for questions from the audience. Tim McKernan at InsideSTL.com for the great gangster Pete. I'm Tim McKernan. This has been another edition of Questions from the Audience on The Tim McKernan Show. Peloton, let's go. This holiday... 
with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.